Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. They take care of our air conditioning. And I hope you will find out more. Give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Aitman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. Noemi Perez is the executive director of the Immokalee Foundation. They've got a great new program. Pretty excited about it. Career Pathways Learning Lab. We'll find out about that. Brad Palumbo is the policy correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books, his latest he, he co-wrote this book with uh, Buzz Aldrin. It's called Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. It is January the 21st, and on this day in 1977, U.S. President Jimmy Carter granted an unconditional pardon to hundreds of thousands of men who evaded the draft during the Vietnam War. The total of some 100,000 young Americans went abroad in the late 60s and early 70s to avoid serving in the war. Ninety percent went to Canada, where some were initial controversy. They were eventually welcomed as immigrants. Still others hid inside the United States, in addition to those who avoided the draft, but a relatively small number, about a thousand of deserters from the U.S. Armed Forces, also headed to Canada. While the Canadian government technically reserved the right to prosecute deserters, in practice they left them alone, even instructing border guards not to ask too many questions. For its part, the United States government continued to prosecute draft evaders after the Vietnam War ended. A total of 209,517 men were formally accused of violating draft laws, while government officials estimated another 360,000 were never formally accused. If they returned home, they lived in Canada or elsewhere, facing prison sentences or forced military service. During the 1976 presidential campaign, Jimmy Carter promised to pardon draft dodgers as a way of putting the war and the bitter divisions it caused firmly in the past. After winning the election, he wasted no time in making good on his word. Though many transplanted Americans returned home, an estimated 50,000 settled permanently in Canada. Back in the U.S., Carter's decision generated a good deal of controversy. Heavily criticized by veterans groups and others for allowing unpatriotic lawbreakers to get off scot-free, the pardon and companion relief plan came under fire for amnesty groups for not addressing deserters, soldiers who had dishonorably discharged, or civilian anti-war demonstrators who had been prosecuted for their resistance. Years later, Vietnam-era draft evasion still carries a powerful stigma Though no prominent political figures have been found to have broken any draft laws, President Clinton, Bush, and Vice Presidents Dan Quayle and Dick Cheney, none of whom saw combat in Vietnam, have been accused of being draft dodgers at one time or another. Donald Trump received five draft deferments during the Vietnam War, one for bone spurs in his heels. There is not currently a draft in the U.S. desertion and conscientious objections have remained pressing issues among the armed forces during the recent war in Afghanistan and Iraq. 
For the record, I had a deferment. I didn't go to Vietnam. Uh, I was actually married with kids uh, after I graduated from college. So uh, the number of Americans who filed new unemployment claims increased to 286,000 in the week ending January the 15th as the labor market continues to recover after uh, surging COVID-19 cases. Labor Department's figure shows a $55,000 claim increase compared to a week ending January 8th when claims increased to 231000 Economists surveyed by the Wall Street Journal expected claims uh, would decrease to 225000 COVID-19 cases have continued to soar throughout the country, causing weaker growth forecasts. But some experts think that the Omicron co uh, coronavirus variant will further disrupt the demands for workers. Someone who's dependable, who's been on the job for a year and doesn't need to learn the ropes, you don't want to lay that person off when you're expecting a spring thaw. The U.S. economy added only 199,000 in December, but uh, unemployment fell to 3.9% from November's 4.2% uh, figure. Me meanwhile, roughly 6.5 million Americans remained out of work at the end of 2021 as the economy was still 3.5 million jobs short of pre-pandemic levels. And this is what fascinates me. I just don't understand how people are getting by now with uh, there's they've you know, reduced the uh, the payout for unemployment down bound to the regular level at this point. They're ending the $300 a month uh, or child care fee that's being paid out. Point being is I just understand how people can decide. People can decide just to quit their jobs. Where's the money coming from? That I don't understand. But I just do understand, understand the resistance to working with conditions of having to wear a mask, get uh, shots, get tested, all that type of nonsense, which hopefully is going away. Well, a new CDC report states a prior case of COVID-19 protected people from infection better than vaccinations did during the Delta wave last summer and fall. The findings were published uh, yesterday in the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. and is based on new research from the agency and health officials in California and New York that appears to contradict public health messaging that pushed for vaccinations. Still, experts say the vaccination shots remain the safest way to protect against the worst side effects of COVID-19. What else would they say, of course? During the height of the virus, uh, Delta variant surged last summer. Essentially, all hospitalized COVID patients were not vaccinated. The new research is based on analysis of COVID infections based among roughly 1.1 million adults. So that's a big test group uh, in California, New York from May through November a period in which the Delta variant was rapidly spreading and immunity among those first vaccinated was waning. So uh, here's the, the latest research. CDC says, you know what? Natural immunity is trumps uh, the uh, vaccine. And uh, we should uh, be also be lucky as to get the, uh, the uh, uh, coronavirus now with the, with the uh, Omicron uh, variant and have a mild case and have natural immunity move on with our lives. Well, the Supreme Court on Thursday refused to speed up the ongoing court case over the ban on most abortions in Texas. Uh, over dissents from three most liberal justices, the court declined to order a federal appeals court to return the case to a federal judge who had temporarily blocked 
the law's enforcement. The court offered no explanation for its action. The Texas ban is thus likely to remain in effect for the foreseeable future following a decision by the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans to send the case to the Texas Supreme Court, which is entirely controlled by Republican justices and does not have to act immediately. Abortion providers have asked the high court to countermand the appellate order, which they said in uh, court papers has no purpose other than to delay the legal proceedings and prevent clinics from offering abortions beyond uh, around six weeks of pregnancy. The law has devastated abortion care in Texas. Justice Sotomayor uh, wrote, instead of stopping a Fifth Circuit panel from indulging Texas' newest delay tactics, the court allowed the state yet again to extend the deprivation of the federal constitutional rights of its citizens through procedural manipulation. She wrote, uh, joining Justices Stephen Breyer and Elena Kagan, the court may look the other way, but I cannot, she said. A little a virtue signaling going on by the justice. Chief Justice John Roberts joined the three liberal judges in December in a dissent that called for allowing a broader challenge to the law and a quick return to the lower federal court. He did not note his position on Thursday. Clinics hear that the uh, a challenge to the law might be resolved before the justices rule in the Mississippi case that could roll back abortion rights across the country. That decision, which could overall the, the landmark Roe v. Wade case of 73, is expected by late June. The Texas law that bans abortion once cardiac activity is detected, usually around six weeks before some women know they are pregnant, has been in effect since September. Last month, the high court kept the law in place and allowed only a narrow challenge against the restrictions to proceed. The providers thought their best chance for a favorable outcome was before the U.S. District Court uh, Robert Pittman in Austin. Pittman issued an order in October blocking the law, though the appeals court put his ruling on hold just a couple of days later. Now, my view on this is that uh, the... Uh, court has no uh, business in, in uh, what women can do unless there's murder involved. And so the question really is, when does a life begin? And uh, more and more evidence is demonstrating it's becoming earlier and earlier in the gestation period. And uh, you don't ever want to murder an infant. And uh, people complain about the fact that they can't take care of the child. Well, there's lots, you know, there's more pregnancy clinics in the United States, I think three or four times more pregnancy clinics that support women who uh, have unwanted pregnancies, then there are abortion clinics. So there are uh, other alternatives, adoption, all kinds of uh, uh, options for a mother. So the point being, uh, murder should not be allowed and or supported by law. So when it gets to the point of uh, when life begins, and of course uh, more and more evidence is to, uh, really demonstrating that life begins at conception. I'm better to err on the side of being cautious. So we'll see how this all plays out. The Supreme Court right now is going to be making big decisions by June. Well, the Senate blocks Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's late-night gambit to nuke filibuster and pass two voting, voting bills. The Senate voted on Schumer's motion to overrule the legislative filibuster. The motion failed 48 to 52. Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema two moderate Democrats opposed the reform, voted against Schumer's gambit. Schumer moved to remove the legislative filibuster, passed two voter bills, the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. 
The Senate blocked the two voting rights bills earlier on Wednesday as it did not cross the 60-vote cloture threshold. Uh, Schumer himself voted against the bill because he realized it was going to lose, and this gives him the opportunity to bring the bill up again. But I think what it demonstrates is the bill is dead, but he continues to try and revive it. I don't think it's going to work. In fact, everybody can vote. Uh, there are state laws that allow people to vote. This whole nonsense about people can't vote and they're oppressed just isn't true. It's uh, simply these voting bills are simply trying to put the Democrats in control so they'll uh, have control of elections going forward. President Joe Biden continues suffering record low approval rates as he marks one year as president. Only 40 percent of voters approve of Biden's job performance, according to the most recent political morning consult poll. Uh, 56 percent disapprove of his job performance. He faces a 59 percent disapproval among independents who are essential in tipping the 2020 presidential election in his favor. The poll was conducted January the 15th to 16th with a lot of folks, over a couple thousand people. Biden took office with a 59% approval rating and briefly crested with 62% approval uh, ratings in March before slowly declining with the Afghanistan event and debacle and so forth. Point being is this, he's just totally, he's uh, totally imploded in terms of his uh, popularity among American voters. A virtual focus group conducted on behalf of liberal organizations found suburban women described Biden as old, incoherent, sleepy, and lazy, according to details published by the Washington Post. Interesting stuff. We'll talk more about this later in the show. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Higher Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way towards keeping seniors connected in the community and with each other. Serving all of Collier County, the Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding resources and services that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers, 
empowering seniors to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Programs are offered free of charge in a safe, welcoming space and focus on fellowship, enrichment and wellness, continuing education, and meeting basic needs through offerings such as daily hot lunch, health screenings, and counseling services. So whether you're looking for referrals to services or a vibrant place to make friends, enjoy community support, or learn something new, Collier Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center is your Collier Senior Center. To learn more about programs and services, please visit CollierSeniorResources.org. That's CollierSeniorResources.org. Or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4534. That's 252-3534. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Noemi Perez, who's the executive director of the Immokalee Foundation. Right now, we have with us William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Thank you, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute. Uh, you bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. So, uh, William, I want to talk to you about what's happening on Capitol Hill. Let's start off with the press conference the president had. When was that, on Tuesday? Uh, Wednesday? Wednesday, Wednesday, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, love to get your reaction and thoughts. Well, the marathon presser, so he set a record at almost two hours for the longest ever um, press conference by a president. And I guess I'll start with my lone area of agreement. Um, He said that uh, schools are not going to close. So to the extent the president has the ear of the teachers union, um, that's uh, wonderful news to me. Uh, Other than that, uh, uh, it was an utter disaster. Um, So at, at times he didn't make any sense. Um, For example, he blamed the, quote, big four for rising meat prices without any subsequent elaboration. Um, And at other times, he committed big gas. Um, So Russia and Ukraine stuff, that's outside of my my area of expertise. But um, I I believe we've all read the stories about how he incurred a problem there. Mm -hmm. Um, He also questioned the legitimacy of the upcoming midterm elections unless Congress passes uh, the quote-unquote voting rights um, laws that he's been pushing. So, uh, uh, you know, that's a bit beyond the pale, um, given the the tone of the Democrat Party on that matter um, for the last year. Um, So, you know, staffers were walking back multiple comments, you know, both the midterm election gaffe and the Russia gaffe in the days following his speech, uh, that is to say yesterday and this morning, um, so really a, a disaster, a record-setting perhaps in both links and uh, the number of gaps. Yeah, no, I, you, quite frankly, I think uh, the decision to keep him under wraps and in his basement probably was a good one <laughs> in, <laughs> in retrospect because I mean, he came all across as unpowerful, as old, as uh, uh, uncommitted. I mean, there's so many lies. I mean, this whole voting law thing is ridiculous to think that somehow, some way, uh, people of color are being denied accessibility to the polls is just, in this day and age, is absolutely ridiculous. But nevertheless, he continues to promote that that uh, notion. So 
pretty sad indeed. Sad indeed, and I would say, you know, we spoke last Friday about the speech he'd given in Atlanta that was similarly beyond the pale, in which he compared all his enemies to Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis. Yeah. Um, so that's really two weeks in a row that he's given public statements that are beneath the presidency. So uh, let's move to Schumer now. He's continued to push the whole notion of voting rights. He, we took to the, uh, I guess it was uh, Wednesday evening, was it? He, he was pushing the voting rights, rights law and, the, and breaking the filibuster, at least for these two votes. What are your thoughts? Well, indeed. So uh, last year, Schumer said failure is not an option when it comes to these so-called voting rights bills, which, mm-hmm. which would actually federalize um, national elections in contravention of the Constitution. Um, well, I guess failure was an option because on Wednesday night, um, this push ended with a whimper. And really, it was doomed to fail from the start. And the effort, the Schumer's insistence on pushing this vote, uh, ultimately it fizzled when Democrats uh, failed to weaken the filibuster um, due to uh, Manchin and Sinema's continued resistance. But there's two big drawbacks here. I mean, they're racking up defeats in Congress. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Build Back Better Act had just failed. Um, and he's also, Schumer is, he's making centrists take tough votes for nothing. Um, and this is really, this is not how congressional leadership usually acts. Um, usually congressional leaders do the opposite. Uh, when a vote is futile, they don't take it so as to protect members who otherwise face, uh, you know, a difficult politics. Um, uh, so I guess why is Schumer doing this? And the answer is that he's scared of getting primaried by AOC. Um, so we're sort of seeing a internal Democrat uh, uh, conflict, if you will, um, uh, leading to bad politics uh, on the national stage. And uh, I think there's really no other way to, to – to describe the Schumer's confounding approach when it comes to this doomed effort. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the Republicans have to be just really pleased about the fact that he's doing this because everybody is now on record on how they're voting on these things. Uh, yeah, how, how serious are you You're in Washington, D.C.? You've got your ear to the ground on what's going on. How, how serious do you think this concern he has about AOC running against him in the primaries for his Senate seat? Oh, I think the proof is in the pudding. Um, again, th- what we saw this week was atypical of what congressional leadership does. And again, the only rational explanation is the fear of an AOC primary. So to be sure, there, there's nothing on the table. There's nothing been reported to that end. I mean, there's been a, 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 ever a, a perpetual sort of whisperings that AOC is considering such a run. Um, but, but no, I think the threat is real, and I think Schumer certainly considers the threat is real because he's a pretty capable politician who's been at this a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I would imagine that the only plausible explanation for why he would force moderates to take a difficult political vote that is doomed to failure um, is that he's, he's trying to protect his left flank. From a primary. Now, in other words, it's every man for himself. I'm looking out after my own. <laughs> Indeed, very much so. Hey, before I let you go, any comments at all about the the New York uh, Attorney General's investigation to the into uh, President Trump? Oh, yeah. So the dual track criminal and civil investigation. There was a couple developments this week. Uh, New York AG Letitia James took to Twitter to say that her offense had un- uh, her office had uncovered evidence of uh, uh, the Trump organization 
um, assessing their properties at, at uh, incommensurate values um, for tax purposes. In the civil trial, uh, she uh, there were court filings in their efforts to try to subpoena Trump and his family. Um, I would just say here, on the one hand, um, you know, it seems tax evasion seems like part of Trump's brand almost. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure uh, if there's a there there. Yeah. And more broadly, a two-track criminal and civil investigation seems to take up a lot of resources. Um, I know for a fact that crime is up 30 percent in New York City. Um, you know, in, in other urban areas in New York, it just seems like a lot of wasted resources given into a, a, a tax case. Um, so I don't see it. Um, I think it's a, a sort of a, a, a politics, obviously, and uh, I think it's sort of a sad waste of resources um, given more pressing issues uh, facing the people of New York. Absolutely. William Yeatman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. The website is cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. I hope you'll check it out. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you, William. All right, coming up, Noemi Perez. She is the executive director of the Immokalee Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, not only building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples, but also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Great review of the play uh, that's running right now through January the 30th. It's called Hire. You can check it out in the Naples Daily News. And again, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Brad Palumbo. He's the policy correspondent with the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Noemi Perez. She is the executive director of the Immokalee Foundation. Noemi, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Barb. Good morning. Good Thank mo- you for having me. Oh, my pleasure, Noemi. Tell us about the Immokalee Foundation. The Immokalee Foundation is a foundation that serves the Immokalee community. Um, we serve about 1,300 students a year, ranging from kindergarten to post-secondary. And we provide after-school and summer education, uh, along with professional development programming. Doing a great job. I just think the Immokalee Foundation, I, I, I know many people who are mentoring in the, in the programs uh, who get so much satisfaction out of helping out and uh, being a resource, but the results that the kids get are just astounding in terms of their not only completing high school but going on to college. Correct. So 100% of our students graduate from high school, 100% um, have a professional uh, career um, portfolio um, and goal, and then uh, 92% of our students graduate from post-secondary, with majority of them earning a bachelor's degree. Isn't that fantastic? I'll point out also that just having uh, visited with some of the mentors, you know, they point out that the many kids just don't believe they're even going to have a chance to go to college, and part of the mentoring process is just to have them have a higher vision for what they can accomplish. Correct. Yeah, it's, um, it's a unique uh, opportunity for adults to, you know, just share their experiences and journeys with our students and provide just encouragement and empower them uh, and, and help support whatever goal and, and um, aspiration they have. So I want to talk to you about the Career Pathways Learning Lab, which is just a really interesting and innovative uh, program that you've created at the Mockley Foundation. Before I do, I just want to make sure if you could give us the website for listeners that might be interested in participating in very satisfying volunteer services at the Mockley Foundation, how can they get in touch? How can they reach you? Sure. Um, Our website is immokaleefoundation.org. And uh, they can go on there and fill out an inquiry. Um, There's different opportunities, such as not just mentoring, but uh, providing uh, or sitting on a career panel or providing a career expo, which is a field trip to their business, um, which is a part of our Career Pathways program that I'll talk a little bit more here. Yeah, so let's do talk about this. Thank you for that, uh, Noemi. The Career Pathways Learning Lab, this is just so innovative, so creative, and just really sets kids up for success coming into the program. Maybe you could tell us about it. Sure. So about three years ago, we uh, redesigned our college preparatory programming to ensure that every student acquires a technical skill, uh, hands-on experience, and marketable credentials that will lead them to professional career and ultimately financial independence. And so we uh, had a lot of research done within Southwest Florida and really focused on what careers were going to be in demand here locally. 
many of our students want to return to Southwest Florida because they want, you know, to be close to their family. Mm-hmm. So we geared our programming towards that. We have four pathways, um, uh, healthcare, education, and human services, uh, business entrepreneurship uh, and management, and then our construction uh, or engineering and construction management pathway as well. Um, and, it, you know, ultimately we created this curriculum so that they have an opportunity to begin working on certifications uh, before high school graduation. And they also are able to intern. Um, they're, you know, just experience and ultimately get all of the education they need in order for them to, to ultimately make um, a decision on which career pathway they would like to follow. So let's talk about one that I just found so interesting, this uh, uh, arrangement that you have with a builder here in Southwest Florida. Uh, that's You're building 18 homes, and uh, kids are participating as, in, as interns, paid interns, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And uh, not yeah. only that, but the, they're learning skills along the way. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, so part of our, you know, as we, as we uh, worked on the internship component, uh, you know, our engineering and construction management pathway, that was a little challenging because it's hard to have, you know, 16-year-olds on a construction site and, you know, able to uh, monitor them and, and provide the instruction needed. So we uh, came up with, the, you know, just the thought of building a home in Immokalee. Uh, thankfully, uh, to, you know, Collier Enterprises came in and donated eight acres of, of land to us. And then BCB Homes uh, really jumped on board and said, you know, we believe in what you're doing and the future and, and you know, uh, providing this education for future generations. And we would like to help uh, build these homes and provide the instruction. So they, uh, all of their subcontractors that are on site have the understanding that they're there to provide uh, educational instruction. So they know that a house is don't, isn't going to be built in two months, two or three months. It's going to be built within, you know, seven, eight months because it's a, it's a learning lab. It's, it's a teaching lab for our students. So, you know, we just are blessed all around with the different partners. Um, we've really, really just been very um, just happy with the fact that every business that we, you know, come across and they, they hear about what we're doing, they want to be a part of it you yeah. know, because it, it's important to them. And, you know, I just, that's a unique piece of Southwest Florida that I find is uh, the community comes together and it's just, um, yeah, it's really, really great. The students are having such a fun time. Um, you know, they're learning and many of them are changing their career path because of it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's just, it's amazing overall. Yeah, and uh, to think about the fact that not only are they learning, but if you can imagine applying for a job and say, yeah, I've got experience, I've been an intern and doing this specific role here for the last several months. Right. I mean, that's going to be so attractive to a potential employer. And right. there's going to be 18 homes that are going to be uh, owned or, or occupied by residents of Immokalee. That's right. So we are selling the homes at market value. Um, and we really are, you know, wanting to target more of the middle class because there's no housing in Immokalee for mm-hmm. that target area, you know, uh, population. And so when you think about your teachers and your, um, your you know, uh, first responders and, you know, individuals like that that want to stay um, close to Immokalee and live in Immokalee, 
this provides them that opportunity. And I'm happy to say that we sold our first home and our homeowners, our first homeowners uh, moved in in December. Uh, and so that was just, you know, exciting. And we have contracts with other Amaki residents currently. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just exciting overall. And we had a celebration last Friday where we came together with different partners and just thanked them. And, and it was a moment of celebration. It's just, it's very surreal when you uh, when you're when you're standing on the property and you see how far we've come. That's just so exciting, Noemi Perez. Again, uh, d- executive director of the Immokalee Foundation, terrific organization doing so much good uh, good for young people in Immokalee. And I encourage you to visit the website ImmokaleeFoundation.org, ImmokaleeFoundation.org, and check out the Career Pathways Learning Lab as well as opportunities to volunteer for the Immokalee Foundation. Noemi, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Brad Palumbo. He is the uh, policy correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. 
Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Brad Palumbo. He is the policy correspondent with the Foundation for Economic Education. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good to be with you. Thank you, Brad. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Well, it's the nation's oldest free market think tank, and we cover public policy and news that's going on in the country from a free market, pro-capitalism perspective. People can check it out at fee.org. FEE.org. Thank you, Brad. So I wanted to start off. Uh, first, I understand you visited Florida, and uh, we be interested in your thoughts of comparing Florida, our free state, uh, compared to other places like I know you're in the Washington, D.C. area. Yeah, so I visited my boyfriend and I visited his family this past week in the Fort Lauderdale area. Uh, and I got to say, it was really nice. Not just the weather. The weather was actually not great. There was one pretty cold day. Right. Um, but it was a lot better than D.C. But what was really nice was seeing people's faces without masks, yeah. right? And going into restaurants and bars and seeing families and groups of people chatting and laughing and not having to show your card to enter businesses. I'll, I will also say the thing I noticed was that there were a few people wearing masks, right? Because they chose to, right? right? Like, it's not as if masks, if you just watch CNN, you might think that masks are banned and it's illegal to protect yourself if you want to right it's not right like there, i did see some people who maybe they're at risk for some reason or something so they were wearing an n95 mask i met lots of people who told me to choose that they chose to take the vaccine it's not that it was some and i'm telling your audience this of course you all know this but in dc and up north it's like people think oh florida it must be a COVID nightmare. And yeah, people are dropping bad. dead on the streets, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Unbelievable, Brad. Well, thank you for sharing that. Hey, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the president's long press conference that he held, uh, I guess it was on Wednesday. What, uh, any, uh, what is your reaction? Well, I've never heard any funnier statement than when President Biden said that he's actually overperformed <laughs> and no, he didn't overpromise things. That is honestly hilarious to me because I, I have pretty low standards for politicians, but I think that's like even a stretch for what a politician can claim without blowing my mind. I mean, he told us he would shut down COVID and not shut down the economy. COVID is very much not shut down, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we're not back to normal. Um, and then he, the economy, and we're still millions of jobs short of where we were before the pandemic. We've got this runaway inflation problem. And yeah, he wants to take credit for everything and actually take a victory lap. That was honestly bizarre to me. Mm -hmm. It was... Uh... You know, I, I think my assessment, and I'm no psychologist, but my assessment is that he's literally lost the distinction between uh, honesty and dishonesty. I mean, he literally says it, and he, if he says it, he thinks it must be true. But, you know, uh, it was actually hard to find a fact or something that you could actually believe in the speech. 
Yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, I'll give you that. Yeah, it was really disturbing. And also, how about the tensions between Russia and Ukraine? I mean, I think he sparked a real controversy by saying that, uh, you know, we can minor incursions into Ukraine. Well, that'd be okay. We're not going to react to that. I think he probably set off red alarms all over the State Department and in the executive branch. Well, it was no coincidence that Press Secretary Jen Psaki immediately went to Twitter and put out a bunch of public statements clarifying the mm. president's response about Ukraine. And it's a pretty good sign that you've messed up when now all of a sudden, immediately after your press conference is over, your staff's rushing out to issue clarifications and say, actually, no, any incursion we would take very seriously. And right. Look. That's the problem with having people who aren't all there in such important positions like commander in chief. Uh, he's going to say the wrong thing and it's going to give us opening for bad people across the world who, who want to do bad things. When we have somebody at the top of our military who is not up to the job, to put it politely. Yeah. Uh, it is not great on that front. Yeah, that's so true. He even he, uh, said he's going to be, he bragged about sending out 400 million masks. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, we live in Florida, so it's a little incredible that he'd say this. But at the same time that the U.K. is saying we're suspending all uh, vaccine passports or suspending all mask requirements, etc., and that's happening in another uh, a number of countries around the world. Uh, Israel is a, Israel is another example, and yet he's continued to ride the same message about uh, coronavirus. Yeah, he has, um, and I wish we would follow the UK's example because the emergency is long over, right? I mean. Anybody who wants to take the vaccine can take the vaccine. That should be your choice. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then everyone should go back to life as normal. Some people will still get sick and die of COVID. Uh, that's very sad, no matter what. Um, but there's no emergency here. There's no reason to shut down our society or to ruin kids' lives, right? To force them into masks and Zoom school and all these things we're doing that have really harmful long-term consequences, um, there's just no reason for any of it anymore because COVID is going to be endemic. It's going to keep coming every year, and we're going to have to learn to live with it. And it's sad to me to be this cynical, but I have to think that they just believe that the longer they preserve the emergency, the longer they can preserve their inflated sense of power, a massive spending, all these things that play into their own egos and expand their own power. You know, I think that is so true, Brett. I'm happy you m mentioned that. The one thing that's missing for me is that uh, the whole notion coming from the CDC and Fauci is that the, the shot, the jab is the big thing. No mention about, hey, taking care of yourself, making sure that your immune system is healthy, get plenty of sleep, get some sunshine, a half an hour of sunshine every day, take some zinc, take some vitamin C, do some of the things that can really help you uh, perhaps avoid, be, be as they call it, prophylactics against uh, this disease. Uh, you know, we all have immune systems. If we, weren't immu if we didn't have an immune system, we'd probably all be dead within a week. Yeah, I agree with you because they're very one-dimensional. They're obsessed with the vaccine, but they're ignoring things like natural immunity. They're ignoring um, – there's actually new treatment options if mm -hmm. you get COVID. There's uh, pills by Pfizer and Merck that have been shown to actually help cure the disease for many people if you take it. 
Um, there's monoclonal antibodies. There's tons of different things, yet they're all just obsessed with the vaccine, the vaccine, the vaccine, which I chose to take. Um, but they have a very bizarre one-dimensional analysis that's only looking at one side of the equation. Uh, and that's not a good way to make public policy. I so much agree, Brad. Brad Palumbo against uh, the policy correspondent with the Foundation for Economic Education. By the way, if you have a high school or college-age student uh, in your life, the Foundation for Economic Education is a terrific resource. It can change lives for the positive. So check out FEE.org. Brad, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity maximize your tax deduction support your favorite charity and help a local child in need by calling naples auto donation center naples auto donation center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer just call nadc at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there you get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by nadc goes to friends of foster children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. Is the author of several books. His latest, co-wrote uh, with Buzz Aldrin, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. 
And Bob, thanks for having me on again. Always a pleasure, Professor. So um, I wanted to talk to you about your, by the way, column that uh, right I'm guessing two or three times a week. The name of the column is On Point, written by on Newsmax.com. Uncovering Tony Fauci's China virus game of funding cover-up. Boy, I'm so happy that we're going to be talking about this. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's really an ugly scandal. Uh, there's no no two ways about it. And uh, there's some highlights that really, really leap out. One is that uh, Tony Fauci's been very, very dishonest about, uh, about not funding gain-of-function research through his through his organization, uh, NIAID, National Institute of Health uh, Organization, because clearly he did, and, and uh, that's been certainly exposed. The, uh, the, the, one of the things that really leaps out to me is that there's this name, Peter Dazak, who, who is head of uh, a nonprofit, New York-based nonprofit called EcoHealth Alliance, and that was the organization that really funneled money from our government, NIAID, to, to the Wuhan laboratory. Mm-hmm. And clearly they were doing gain-of-function research. One of the things that really, really blows my mind, and this, a lot of this stuff has come out in, in unredacted uh, emails before we got the emails, you know, the House Committee got the emails, but they were all blacked out. Just, they got some uh, some copies that weren't blacked out, and and of course it was it was really known that Peter Dazak, who's a key guy in terms of transferring this money, uh, is the guy who the World Health Organization, you know WHO World Health Organization, uh, was selected. And when you say that World Health Organization, you can certainly believe it's controlled by our government, by Fauci and, and the NIH and so on. The guy who funneled the money turns out to be the, the one person on this ten on this international team of ten people that that was supposed to go to Wuhan and investigate the laboratory leak. So here's the guy that funded the laboratory, mm-hmm. who's the representative for the United States in in the World Health Organization to go and check on them. And so this group of ten people they sit in a hotel, quarantine, doing Zoom meetings, and they get a little. Guided tour down to the wet to the wet market, and they come back saying, "Oh, there's nothing to see here." Hmm. Uh, incredible conflict of interest, incredible stupidity, and and we know now that also they they have been having discussions, uh, either you know, uh, including Dayzak and and Fauci and and his boss at NIH, and 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 they've been having discussions behind the scene, really. Well, you know, everybody's saying, well, we, we, we really know it's a lab leak. You know, we really know that this virus really couldn't have, likely couldn't have come out any other way. Meanwhile, they're, they're telling a different story publicly mm-hmm. and, and, and essentially just lying, blatantly lying about this, covering their own patooties, and uh, absolutely disgraceful that we depend upon, you know, we, we generally, I guess, depend on, information coming from Fauci, the architect inadvertently perhaps of this crisis for, for our best information, what's best in our best interest in terms of shutdowns and masks and so on. We got our little mass children now 
you know, they're, you know, they're getting experimental shots put in their arms mm-hmm. uh, uh, that we don't know what, what the long-term effects are. Nobody can possibly know. And it's just, uh, I think it's just a, uh, a scandal of uh, epic proportions. No, it really is. A couple comments. I mean, uh, we've learned now that the uh, age cohort between the ages of 18 and 64, you know, the, the working uh, group, uh, their death rate is up 40% compared to the norm uh, since uh, 2018. That's very suspicious, you know. So <laughs> does it, do the jabs have anything to do with it? There's no evidence to prove that it does at this point, but that certainly is one of the variables that should be considered. The second well, thing, it's certainly, it's certainly on my mind because uh, I, I had a couple of jabs before I realized that my family has a, on my side of the family has a certain propensity to get clots and strokes from from the vaccine. Yeah. I, I found this out after my niece had a stroke, and I, and my sister had a lung clot, and 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 so I dodged the bullet, and and as you know, I my my wife and I, Nancy and I, got the, the Omicron. We got COVID. Uh, just a few weeks ago, and and actually, I, I shouldn't say it, but I'm I'm kind of grateful because yeah. if I have immunity, it was really a very a very uh, uh, dealable, addressable issue. Yeah, you know, I had it was like having a mild head cold and and uh, or you know or allergy, and and uh, I wouldn't have even known that had I not had a test that that confirmed that I had it. And, yeah. And so hopefully we've, you know, and I don't claim to be any kind of medical expert, but but from my own family experience, I'm very suspicious of the, you know, I think for some people uh, that, that, you know, they're, they, they, they pose certain risks and we know and we know of those risks. Right. It's absolutely so. And in fact, we've just uh, we have a, a very close friend we've known for years and years and years, their son who is, I think, in his 30s or 40s, uh, has had now seven stents uh, and, and put in his body because of, uh, now we don't know, again, you can't prove that it's directly related to the to the uh, jab, but uh, there are clots that are created by these things, and apparently he was extremely susceptible to uh, developing clots. Seven stents, uh, Larry, that's just really alarming. Well, I, I acknowledge that I might have had a mild Omicron reaction because of my vaccine. So I, I'm not bad-mouthing the vaccines. I think, I, you know, I, I, I give them credit, and I, and I think the development of was, was was quite remarkable. So I, I'm not I'm not anti-vaxxer. Only, only in my own case, I wouldn't want to get a booster knowing what I know, know right now. And, and now I think I have, you know, hopefully good immunity because I'm 84 years old. I, I teach. I still teach. At the university, I've got graduate students from all over the world, and I, I love being with them, and it's a great, great pleasure in my life. By the way, I had a long conversation with Buzz last night. He turned 92 yesterday. Wow, cool. And and uh, so he had some kind of family plans canceled because of COVID, but I was I was just pleased he's doing he's doing very very well, and uh, and we certainly wish him well. I turned 84 the day before that, so. We're kind of birthday buddies too. Oh, but, well, happy uh, birthday! It's what what a great opportunity to continue to be productive. I just point out again the book written by Buzz Aldrin by Larry Bell, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. Uh, I haven't gotten my copy yet. I rely on Apple Books, and apparently it's available now on 
Kindle, but not Apple yet. So I'm hopeful that we'll see that soon. Well, it's out. Yeah, it's out now. So. Oh, good, 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 good. Well, I'll get a copy today. Uh, and again, uh, I'm going to encourage our listeners to go to uh, Newsmax.com and check out Larry's column, Larry Bell on point. Uh, the column uncovering Tony Fauci's China virus game of funding cover-up. So interesting. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And, Bob, I appreciate our friendship. Thank you so much. Me as well. Thank you so much, Professor. Great guy. And, uh, you know, a <laughs> really big guy in the space program going back in the day for sure. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests lined up for Monday. Uh, Mark Schulman is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about up-to-the-minute global events. We'll visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author. He's written several, a couple of murder mysteries that are really, really outstanding. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.